Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 105, which begins with Thor and Odin having a father-son chat and ends with the Scientist 3 back in Smith Motors with much better tech. Joining us on the show today, as every day this week, sad it's coming to an end, is Mr. Will Freeland from the Hype is My Superpower podcast. Um, Will, been so great having you. What's kind of your overall take on these five minutes now that we've gone on to a film school level of analysis of uh, five minutes of a pop movie about a god? Well, thanks for having me, first off. Second, um, as, as, as we talked about yesterday, how I didn't like this movie um, when I first saw it. Going over these last five minutes with you guys, uh, you've added extra perspectives or takes um, on things that I didn't even notice um, in some scenes. And um, to the point that you made yesterday, Matthew, it is helping me appreciate giving more weight to the story that they're telling um, in this movie. Um, and so... Uh, I I feel bad for how little I liked the movie when I first saw it now. <laughs> um I I feel like I didn't maybe I didn't give um the movie the chance that I should have, but also I was a different person 11 years ago. Um I notice things differently now. I I I see the world and react to it differently than I did 11 years ago. So maybe if I went back and did a deep dive full watch, you know, again if I started the MCU over all 20 thousand films that they have uh, maybe i might have some different takeaways though well i appreciate that and i on the one hand i certainly want to point out that you also brought a lot of that like the the thing you noticed about the the walking on the um the runes in the sand I, I certainly never would have noticed but but the other side is i think kind of as i was saying at the end of last episode i do think you appreciate this movie so much more if you do this level of deep analysis but there's also the like should you have should you have to do that you know if you have to do that in order to appreciate a film what does that say about a, the film you know that's 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 a film critical theory discussion that uh, i'm certainly not equipped for but i think it's a very interesting one to i, I imagine comes up in the actually i was asking andy is that is that a kind of question that comes up in the in the in the minute by minute discussions quite a lot of like if if you only really enjoy a movie and you go to this level of analysis like is is that a good or bad thing about the movie I don't know if it comes up often, but I do think that there is something that that you will hear often with people who have these conversations on the different on the various shows is that they are able to find another level of appreciation for the films, even if it was one that they didn't connect to as much. Um, but finding that sense of, you know, there was more here than I, I gave it credit for. And I, I, I can clearly see they're doing a lot of stuff here and, and kind of finding that kind of growing in their estimation. Um, and so I think there is something about that um, because I mean, you know, especially in modern times where it's so easy to like be sitting on your couch watching something Kind of, but you're also flipping through stuff on your phone and, and you're getting up and going to the bathroom or the kitchen. It's so easy to not fully give anything your full attention anymore. And so when you're looking at a film this way, I mean, you're really, you know, in it. You're you're looking at everything going on in those particular minutes and how it all connects. And so I, I think that there is something 
that I appreciate in going back and looking at films this way because yeah, you you yeah. you sometimes do kind of skim over things as you're otherwise watching. So and it also kind of makes you think about how much perceptions play into it. You know, I think yeah. part of it was I was expecting Thor to be a silly popcorn movie about an overly muscled, un- under under intelligent character. So yeah, that that's that's maybe what I kind of you walk away from. Well, anyway. Um, we are almost at the end of our six month journey through this movie. So it's fitting that this is when I've found the longest way to, to um, uh, <laughs> stall until we get to the promos. But now we will get to hear a quick word and then we'll be right back. Ever heard of Patreon? Like so many podcasters out there, we're big fans, and we find it to be a great platform for our fans to support us by becoming patrons. Well, we're using Patreon's memberful platform. That allows us to actually have it built right into our very own site. So if you've gone over to Patreon to look for us and you can't find us, that's why. You've got to go to our website, truestory.fm slash Minute, and there you can learn about our membership program that we have through their memberful site. Um, it's only $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. So check it out. We'd love for you to join us. All right. So we come back on Thor and, and Odin, and, and Thor is saying, kind of finishing the sentence he started before of, I know that now. What is it he knows? What what it's kind of the the, the 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 whole summary of the movie. But like, what do you think it is that he that he now knows that he's saying to Odin? So when he gets banished, he's he's arrogant. He's you know won every battle he's been in, and he's got the the victor's perspective of life. And this is his. This is how he becomes worthy of the throne of all things. And then. You strip his worthiness of Mjolnir away, you strip his godhood away, and you have him live a life of humility. And so now that he's gone through this, you know, journey, he looks back and he's like, oh, (laughs) this is what it means to um, see both sides of the coin, uh, to be on a, you know, in a losing fight (laughs) um, against the destroyer armor and, and, um, for, from my perspective, being a king is being able to address all sides. And you can only address both sides when you've been on both sides. And um, having Thor go through that, um, I think he now feels like, oh, I get the motivation or the reason behind these decisions you've made, Father. Um, I, I see the world, I see Asgard in a different perspective now. What's really interesting about that is when you look at, I mean, again, I'm looking maybe a little too, too broad in my perspective of, of what Thor is saying here, but when you actually see like where he has gone over the course of the films and how he doesn't ever become king it and he kind of continues this growth of learning, uh, I, I find it to be a very interesting element that we have with this character of Thor who started so arrogant in this film and over the course of all these different films that we have in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how like he really has a lot of lessons that he kind of continues having to learn in order to kind of get the growth that he needs to really become kingly, even if he never does actually become king. Yeah, and I think it's very true. I think it, it segues so nicely into the next thing we get where he says, you know, 
and I hope one day I can make you proud. And 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 then Odin responds, you know, you've made me proud already. And, and it's funny because to me here, like, you know, going back to that moment with Loki where I feel like any decent father would know not to say what Odin says, at least as, as I understand it. To me, this is the flip side of it. Because I feel like if you've got, like, the father encounter group and they're all – one person says, my my son said one day I, I hope I'll make you proud, all the other fathers are going to say – and I hope you said you make me proud already right now, right? <laughs> like, that's the reassuring thing you say. Yeah. Um, but it, it has a lot of poignance, I think, because it's, to me, it's, it, it's, it's, to me, it's the kind of last part of Thor's humility of that, the sign that he hasn't grown enough. What if he came back and be like, Ugh, that learned humility quest? Nailed it. I got that. Look how <laughs> humble I was. I went to Midgard. I learned my lesson. I'm back. Make me king. And, 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 like, I think you could read this as a kind of, like, you know, praise-seeking, like, Dad, I want you to tell me that I am I make you proud, but I don't get that. I, and I think no. it's, it's Hemsworth's performance is so good that I get he he honestly doesn't know if, he, if he's made Odin proud yet. And and I think that's – on the one hand, that's like, oof, like, talk about, like, fathers denying, um, you know, affirmation. But but it does it does feel to me like it's the final side of him not not going back to the, the arrogance there. And another element that I love there, and, and this goes back to kind of, uh, and I, I think it may just be my perspective on Odin uh, throughout this scene, mm-hmm. but when Thor says that, uh, you know, Odin, and again, they're not facing each other, they're kind of facing out uh, out the window, um, but Odin kind of has this small smile on his face, and then he kind of lowers his head and, before he turns to Thor and, and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, you've already made me proud. There's an element there that... Um, Yeah, I just I feel like there's something in Odin that he's looking at his own life. And because Thor yesterday or in our minute that we were talking about yesterday was talking about how he's he's the real wise one. But I, I don't know. I can't help but feel like Odin is just like, if you only knew I'm such a mess. I'm not as great as you think I am. Like, I feel like I see that in Odin's reaction here um, when Thor says, you know, someday I hope to make you proud. And Odin is just like, God, you just have no idea. I am. I am such a mess. I, you know, and, and, you know, of course you've made me proud. And, and so I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's something really special in the way that, that Odin kind of has that reaction to Thor there that I just, I don't know. I just find so, uh, so touching in, in kind of a, just a little thing that he does as a way to kind of find that connection there. Yeah. I can definitely see that. And it, it, it as much as I am very sympathetic for Loki and for Thor and very like I, I think Odin is a real like has really failed in a way that I want the movie to show more of. Andy, I think you're noticing things that I'm not about kind of the subtlety of the performance that that maybe there is some of that that Odin's giving that I'm just not seeing. Uh, and I think it's, you know, like one of us is a father and it's not me. And so I may have a little <laughs> bit of like, come on, father should always know the right things to say. And perhaps have a little bit more of a, a little more sympathy for a father in that regard. Um, uh, so moving on, though, let's now get back to the uh, the bouncer. Well, before before we get to the bouncer, I just want to say this is our picture wrap on Anthony Hopkins as Odin mm. in this movie. So he will yeah. be back, uh, obviously, in the second film. But, uh, you know, I I love Anthony Hopkins. And I thought what a, a perfectly cast person uh, to play the character of Odin. I love him in this role. Yeah, that, that stateliness, that both the Shakespearean aspect, but also just the like to believe that this is a figure who people on Earth could think of as a god. <laughs> and it actually reminds me of one other thing I wanted to say at the last minute, but I think it's true here. 
the shot of the two of them kind of both looking out and you see their faces and their hair. I don't know if this is the casting or this is or just in fantastic makeup and the like, but I'm so aware of how similar they look like they very much look like father and son in that kind yeah. of, in that shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Really well done. It's funny. The uh, reading Odin, I always pictured, I always imagined him having like a deep booming voice. Um, and so <laughs> uh, you get, you get this portrayal of Anth- from Anthony Hopkins and, you know, his voice is not deep or menacing or, or like loud, but um, he definitely has, uh, he has a way of, giving wisdom in his tone mm-hmm. that um so few actors actually are able to do. Yeah. It was it was a great casting choice regardless. Whether or not he the actor could do the booming voice, the sense I get is that Odin always can but is choosing not to. It's that mm. understatedness. Uh though I will say uh, you said Anthony Hopkins can't do menacing. Having watched Silence of the Lambs, I mean, disagree. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Like like a like a like a deep voice like yeah. like yeah. Odin in my head is always he yeah. he speaks with such purpose and, right. and and when you get Anthony Hopkins, I don't imagine him doing that. Yeah, <laughs> like the actor who play, I forget the name of the, the actor who plays Laufey, the king of Jotunheim. Like he definitely has that Colm Fiore, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. All right. So then we cut to uh, Heimdall, and to me, this is such a poignant moment because it's it it's both that like. He's standing on the edge of the bridge. And at first I took this as like, it's that sort of like, you know, the he's going back to the ashes of of the castle he used to guard because he just doesn't know anything else because he's still like grieving the loss of it. His bedroom's gone. (laughs) His bedroom's (laughs) gone. Like this observatory, all that's gone. But to me, it also says a lot about just the stoicism of this character of his job is to stand at the edge and watch. And... All the nice fancy stuff that he used to have at the edge is gone, but there's still an edge, and he's still standing there and watching. I think it's it, there's still a job to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, and if there is an image of Heimdall that that feels more pulled from the comics, it's this uh, because I mean, in the comics, it was just a rainbow that came off of Asgard, and uh, and you had this this kind of character who just stood at the edge, just standing there very stoically, just like this. And so this actually feels much more in line with those early Heimdall uh, appearances in the comics. Mm-hmm. And so Thor comes out and says, so Earth is lost to us, which, which again, to me, does betray that Thor's a little focused on himself in terms of like, there, there's eight other realms that are also lost to you, buddy. Or maybe seven. <laughs> I don't know how the yeah, seven other realms. I'm bad at math. Um but then Heimdall says there's always hope. What is he referring? Is it because he sees everything? So he knows that there are reality stones out there or, or I'm sorry, infinity stones or portals or like that he think or is, or is it just kind of another kind of platitude of I have no idea how, but you should have hope because we'll figure out some way to do it again. <sighs> OK, so, well, one. This is one of those things where it's like, why aren't they singing Midgard? Why do we say Earth now? It's one of those things. I don't know why they go back and forth so uh, more than I feel they should. But two, uh, I I don't know. I I struggle with this. I I mean, I get it. It's it's the Bifrost is this connection between the realms. And in context of the story of Thor, it makes absolute sense. 
But, you know, they also have spaceships and they can travel in other methods and uh, maybe they can still get there. It's just going to take longer. And and so, I don't know, maybe that's what Heimdall is referring to here. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just the point in the script where they're just wrapping things up. But it's like, you know, we know there's other ways or I guess we find out later. But it's just it's one of those things where it just it feels a little... Uh, you know, end of movie. We're going to figure this out because, you know, we're going to make more Thor movies. So, you know, there, there's hope because, you know, there is hope that we this movie makes enough money at the box office so that we can make that <laughs> second movie, I guess. <laughs> That's very fair. And this is one of those moments where now that we know, you know, 20 some odd movies later that this all takes place in the same like space. Yeah, the spaceships easy boom you just fly there it's fine um but my takeaway within this movie's canon is last time we saw heimdall it was against loki well not last time we saw him but um uh was loki told him there are paths and doorways hidden to even your eyes oh that's true and so heimdall knows that there are other ways into Asgard and out of Asgard that exist, but he doesn't know how, where they are, which I disagree with. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but Loki has established that that is a thing, <laughs> and so Heimdall knows about it, and this might not be the time to tell Thor, because he's going to obsess with tearing apart Asgard looking for these other doors. <laughs> which is interesting that – you see this sometimes where, like, when you know that there's going to be sequels coming – a movie will set something up, and then sometimes the next movies don't pick up on this. Um, as a Star Wars fan, I have no idea where, where this would happen. Um, but Because <laughs> as I think about it, I don't think we ever get any explanation of how Loki got the Jotuns into Asgard to begin with. No. Uh, and so I kind of wonder if Kenneth Branagh was trying to set that up for the next director and writer, or the writers were, and just it never got picked up on. So Yeah, an element of the magic that just doesn't get explored fully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that Loki keeps dying, and now he's at his own TV show. So in theory, <laughs> he is so far out of reality that he's not going to be in Love and Thunder. But I also don't know how you make a Thor movie without the most popular character from the Thor universe. So may- maybe we will get uh, some of that. I have a different question, though, and and will or either of you maybe you know this from the comic books. The way the Bifrost is portrayed in this movie is it is something that is generated by the 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 turret in the observatory, particularly with the use of of uh, uh, the staff. Uh, Gung, I can never remember this name. Gung Gungnir is the is the staff, but but uh, Hofund is Heimdall's sword that he generally uses. So either one of those right. are are tools that can start it. But yeah, it's. It's the Bifrost energy is in the bridge, though. It's it's not in the observatory. The observatory is turning the energy from the bridge into kind of the beam that they can travel through is okay. the way it's being portrayed. Well, but either. So I, I guess cause my question is, is the Bifrost something that the Asgardians built and now can rebuild? Or is the point that it's this sort of primeval energy thing that they had a connection to, but they broke the connection and they don't have any of the ability to, to rebuild it. Because my first thought is, why can't you just rebuild the Bifrost? Well, yeah, which they, I mean, I guess they do, right? Um, by the time we get to the next film. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's not in Avengers. That was that was my big thing, was I, I was running around telling anyone that would listen, if 
if Thor is in Avengers, there needs to be at least a scene or one line that addresses how Thor got there because they destroyed the Bifrost in Thor. <laughs> I need I need an explanation. They did it with one sentence. And I don't know if I accepted it, but yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like it, it gets destroyed uh, according to um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki. Odin will use dark magic to, or he used dark magic to harness the Bifrost. Um, and yeah, yeah it's, mm. the, it's the whole thing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's fair. That's fair. Loki says, I don't, I can't imagine how much dark magic it took uh, Odin to summon you to Midgard. And it's like, yeah. oh, stupid. Right. But okay, that's, fine. <laughs> yeah. That's, it was addressed. <laughs> I do want to say one thing about um, Andy, what you brought up about Earth. I agree they've gone back and forth in the movie in a way that makes sense. I feel like in this moment, at least, I understand why Thor would say it. Because to me, it's the like, you know, if you have a name for this other thing, but the people in the other thing have their own name for it, like one of the signs of you have become like you have a better understanding of the of the other and you're no longer otherizing them is that you use their own word for the thing. And to me, that was kind of like, for Thor, it is Earth now. It's not Midgard because he's been there and he knows, like, for them, it is Earth. And that's what he understands. So it's interesting that that Fandral is actually the first person in the film to call it Earth way back in the early parts mm-hmm. of the film. So it's interesting, like, of all the characters, like, he seems the least likely to actually take that frame of, of reference right. and kind of look at it that way. Like, but I, I agree with you, though. I mean, that that actually does make a lot of sense. Uh, it would have worked better if maybe Hogan had said that. I, I could see Hogan being the one who connects more with the, the people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say, to answer your question, Matthew, as far as, like, uh, harnessing Bifrost energy, in the comics, at least lately, Heimdall's sword is kind of like... Thor's hammer <laughs> in the sense mm. that whoever's wielding the sword controls the Bifrost um, and also gets the eyes of Heimdall um, and and so can, you know, survey the, the cosmos and open a Bifrost to wherever it needs to be. And is the implication, I don't think we saw this necessarily, but I'm guessing the implication is that, like, the sword was there, was, was driven in at, at the observatory and, oh no, because it was Gungnir, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Do we know what yeah. happened to? Do we know what happened to Heimdall's sword? Because he doesn't have it in this scene, at least unless I missed it. He does. No, he, yeah. he has it. Yeah, he's he got he yeah. got frozen with it, and then in this scene, oh, he's, that's right. he's holding that's right. it. Yeah, it's he's, just in he's front standing of him. there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe maybe the sword can help to rebuild it. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I know. I don't love it either. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I, I think will, if nothing else, you should be brought back onto uh, Marvel My Minute. Anytime they want some grumpiness, like okay, we we've been too positive <laughs> about this movie. We need some like grumpiness, like because it's a great perspective. I think I I'm the exact opposite. I've never read the comics, so I, I love the way you put it. But also, uh, yeah, exactly. So I try uh, when I when I grump about a movie, I try so hard to remove the well in the comics or in the book. You know, push. I'm the only one here that doesn't have glasses, but push my glasses up my nose, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I struggled a lot with that in Iron Man 3. So if you That's want right. that take, I got you. However, <laughs> yeah. um, 
That was that was only because you specifically asked. Um, I typically no, try good. to I try to keep my grumpiness in the movie within the context <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing. I, like, I ask you because I know that you can do it in a way that never makes me feel like I have a lesser opinion of it because I didn't read comic books, oh, which okay. is what you so often get. So, uh, and as for Iron Man three, I'm guessing your opinion has something to do with an orange or a particular way to cook chicken. But we'll we'll have that discussion at a, another point. Okay. Um, the, the Mandarin is what I'm referring to there. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know? there, okay. yeah, another, another, okay. another time. Right. Yep. Different time. Yeah. Different time. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I, well, let's put it this way, Andy. I think I now know who your guest is for a particular set of minutes when you get to Iron Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. But um, I, specifically, the house party protocol is my grape. Also, extremists. Oh. Mandarin, not yeah, so much. Was, okay. I, was gonna, I, was, I was actually thinking extremists might be the thing, but um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. I, that That's my misunderstanding. There you go. And the house um, party protocol is dumb. <laughs> I don't even remember what it is. So. Oh, it's so, just all, all those that, suits. Sorry, go. <laughs> Thor, so, so then we Thor. Get, we get to this great moment, and Thor asks, can you see her? And Heimdall has this little laugh. And I, 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 I think Andy and I read it differently. <laughs> so I want to start, before either of us talk, Will, what do you take? What, what's, what do you think is happening with Heimdall when he makes that little, huh, yes, I see her? Of just like... This guy, like, um, I have, like, I imagine, and maybe because I equate Heimdall to being the bouncer, I've, I've worked security, um, at, like, dance clubs and stuff, and having some drunk guy that is clearly obsessed with somebody else, uh, come and ask a similar question, or like, hey, did, did Jennifer show up? And I'm like, okay, this guy. Like, it's that <laughs> kind of same, <laughs> I get that same kind of feeling from his chuckle of just like, really, everything that's going on in literally the cosmos, and this is what you want to ask me about? Yes, I've been keeping track because I saw you walking up, I know where she is, my good lord. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I have a – my take is somewhat like that. Like I definitely think it's about him and Jane. But to me it feels a little more like – a little more affectionate, kind of like the uncle who will always tease you and always kind of make fun of you but you also know has your back. It's that sort mm. of like, you know, Thor, Odin thinks you've grown so much. And I know you have but you're still kind of a lovesick puppy and it's kind of adorable and I'm laughing at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, I think, what was your take on it, Andy? I think that's definitely there. Uh, but also it's just one of those things It's like – you know, it's like, oh, silly Thor, you know I can see everything. It's it's yeah. like, I, come on, of course, of course I can see her. So it's just, yeah, I, I, that's what's fun about it is because it's just, it's such a small little laugh that, that uh, Idris Elba threw in there. But it just, I don't know, I think it carries so many different things. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and it is also a nice reminder of like, I don't need the observatory. I don't need the bridge. I, I just get, I see all, no matter yeah. what I am. Yeah, exactly. And it is really nice that, like, we, we, the shot comes up on them from their back and we see their faces for a bit, but like, it, it's really just kind of moving past them. And then we hear the last part of their conversation as we're, you know, panning back down to, to Midgard. Yeah, it's such an interesting, um, the way that this whole shot, I mean, it really kind of continues. Uh, to a certain extent, what we had with Sif and Frigga a few minutes ago, how we see them and then we cut to what they're talking about um, instead of watching them talk. And it's it's very similar here. We actually don't oh, yeah, ever right. see their mouths move and, and, and the camera flies right past them out into space. And we kind of like off the edge of Asgard, off the broken bridge and the waterfall and everything. But really, it's like it's because 
we don't want to see them. We're, we're now focusing on what they're talking about. And so I love that parallel between those two moments. I also really I like that because to me it tells me that it was intentional because I, I don't know much about movie making, but from the little I know, anytime you have lines of dialogue and you're not seeing the character speaking those dialogue, I, a part of me often wonders, are those lines that were added in post? And so sure. they edited it in a way that you can't tell that the, the actor was saying something else in that moment. Um, but they, what you say, I think, makes it seem like a lot more intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we come down onto Eric and Darcy and Jane. Uh, and it's funny that and we're going to talk more about the tech that they're using uh, in the next minute because there's a lot of it there. But I'll just say I, I appreciated that you pointed out that it was Smith Motors in the notes, Andy, because what it looks so different because they have. And so at first I thought this was them being in a fully funded like science lab mm. until I realized, that, no, they're staying in Smith Motors. I hope this guy's charging them a, a higher rent now. <laughs> but like They've just now now they have all the tech that they've always needed in this scene. Yeah, that electric bill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the electric bill, but it's funny because you say that because the lighting is so dark in the room. I mean, it, it looks cool. It's very kind of cool look. But yeah, obviously, obviously their money is going to all the tech rather than uh, them specifically. But uh, what I like about it is it it is a very dark interior of Smith Motors. And it's a beautiful Steadicam shot that we have kind of moving along with them as they're kind of bustling about kind of getting ready to go out. Um, but it's so dark that it really, uh, and again, just going back to kind of how we had that, um, the the shot from Midgard through space up to Asgard, we're kind of doing that again, where like, it's very much starting how the movie or ending how the movie started, where we started the movie in, in the dark in the New Mexico desert. And here it's night again in New Mexico. And we have these three going out to do more science stuff. Right. And I love that. It's, it's very much full circle. And I, I think that's a, a fantastic connection that Brana had by ending this way. Yeah, especially because to me, part of what it conveys is that the, you know, forgive me for quoting a Hall and Oates song from the 80s, but like <laughs> Midgard and Asgard are so close, but so far away. You know, it's showing that like they're actually quite close, but now there's this gulf between them because the only way of passage has been destroyed, or at least the only way we know of. So I know uh, we were wondering, should we do a wrap up of uh, Idris? Because this is the last time we see him, but we'll hear him. So what I would suggest is we do kind of a full picture wrap on Idris Elba the next minute. Sure. But we can do a quick picture wrap on the absolute gorgeousness that is the the face and, and demeanor of Mr. Idris Elba. Because um, it just I just have to, again, say you get an actor that good looking and that expressive and put a big old helmet on his head. And these green contact, these gold contacts in, in front of some of those gorgeous eyes on an actor I've ever seen. And it's just like, like he's good in that part. But wow, did they waste him a lot with that, that outfit. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a very large helmet. Yeah. But it's, I mean, that's yeah. how they were introduced, you know, like back in mm-hmm. in, in the like. You know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, when you have these Asgardians, they always had those larger... The helmets were about as big as the torso, sometimes bigger. Yeah. And especially Heimdall, those two giant fans that come out of the top. <laughs> I, I'm in part of a number of fan groups uh, that I follow. Um, 
uh, as well as some great podcasts. Uh, Black Girl Nerds is one of my favorite of them. Um, and there was there would often be these discussions about like especially after Chadwick Boseman so tragically died, like, who do we get to be the next Black Panther? Who's going to be the antagonist? And people would continuously bring up Idris Elba as would Idris Elba's, wouldn't he be so perfect? And then after remember, no, he's actually already been in the MCU <laughs> as high. But he, he just gets so lost in that role that I can understand people just forgetting about that. Yeah, it, it happens. God, he would be a great Black Panther. Right? Right? Well, and that's, I think it speaks so highly about Idris Elba that people want him in everything. Like people want him to be the yeah. next James Bond. It's like because he is like one of the the classiest, coolest, sexiest actors out there, and and he can carry the role. It's it's not just he's there because he is those other things. It's like he also is a great actor, and and that's what I just love about Idris Elba. And it's like I'll watch him in every anything because oh, yeah. he is just mesmerizing uh, to see on screen. Absolutely. I mean, I remember I had a friend who had first seen Luther and then didn't understand how he didn't have a British accent in The Wire. And I had the exact opposite, whereas I thought he was from Baltimore because he has that accent <laughs> so well done in The Wire, which, by the way, if you ever want to do minute by minute of The Wire, I'm in. Um, <laughs> be 50 hours of TV, so it's going to be a long time. But um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, I think we've all waxed uh, uh, eloquently enough about Mr. Idris Elba. Uh, any other last comments about this minute or the five minutes we've talked about? No, it's a good week. Uh, you know, kind of everything's wrapping up. It's a, it's a very melancholic week, but uh, I, I really like it. Definitely. Uh, well, Will, um, for those folks uh, who've been enjoying you, want, want to find more of you, give us your quick rundown again of your Discord and your um, podcast. So I have a podcast, Hype is My Superpower. I talk about uh, Marvel Comics all day. It's super, super fun. Um uh, and, uh, I have a Twitch, uh, Silver Dreamer, uh, Silver with a Y. Uh, I stream four days a week right now. Um, I build Legos. I talk about comics. I have channel point rewards for literally story time about Marvel. Um, and, uh, those are kind of the two main places. I'm trying to get my name out there. So come and find me. Um, and yeah, that's kind of my top two. Definitely check those out. As I said, Will's been on a number of episodes of Superhero Ethics, particularly every episode except the first of the coverage we did of Falcon the Winter Soldier. Uh, Will was a guest for at a, a great perspective. I think it's actually how nice. we first started working together. That so, is. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I, I randomly came across your podcast because I, I searched Marvel and I hate spoilers. And so I was looking for something that was like Marvel adjacent. I oh, saw nice. Superhero Ethics. I was like, that could be interesting. Um, and then you started covering Falcon the Winter Soldier or yeah, Falcon the Winter Soldier. And you had mentioned on one of the episodes that it would, you You'd like to uh, find a content creator of color uh, to come and speak to, to uh, the stuff that Sam Wilson goes through in the show. And so that's why I reached out and I was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a content creator of color. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Be my friend. <laughs> you know, I, I, I try to have as diverse a group as possible, but I always want to avoid being like, oh, this is the Asian episode. Let's get an Asian on. But that one is like, because I think this, tokenism is just as bad as lack of diversity. But there definitely I had a like – I, I can't talk about the show as two white guys. Like, there's just two. <laughs> I didn't know how much racism was going to be an issue, but once it was, it was like, yeah, you know, we need to get uh, uh, some uh, a black commentator on, and and you were fantastic in that. So definitely check out uh, Will's podcast, his uh, Discord channel, the episodes of Superhero Ethics that he's on, uh, and of course, please check out um, Superhero Ethics, Star Wars Universe podcast, and all the great podcasts you'll find at the Next Real Family of Podcasts. So I'm at myself, Will, Andy. Thank you all so much for being a great audience and have a good day. Bye.
Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 